we just spoke for like 20 minutes and now we don't have any intro material. <laughs> <laughs> no, none at all. Oh, dear. Just skip it. Just skip it. No intro. Record it at the end. Oh, yeah, they'll never know. The magic of editing. Not with your editing skills, they won't. It's a like, very popular podcast introduction style now. I like to think we started it, even though we definitely didn't. That's how I like to think of it. No, we didn't, but it definitely came about by total accident. Maybe. I always felt it was going to go that way. Oh, did you? Well, you could have said Wait, something just, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd just let it happen naturally. Very uh, much fits our character. Or characters. We don't have one shared character. Yeah. Obviously. Do. It's just one person in a room doing multiple voices. Lawrence and Ed don't actually exist. Can I have a better voice then? Can I have like a you deep, like sexy, voice? you know, like the Trevor McDonald style voice? Is is that what you consider? Well, I, yeah, I kind of, well, you know, like the more, you know, something iconic. Are you not a fan of how you sound? No, I don't really mind. On a camera, you can't really change it. But I feel <laughs> the podcast does lack a nice, soothing, deep voice <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering where you were going, going to go with that <laughs> well, that's the intro done so that is the intro now we can get on with the podcast there's something in there i'm sure good very professional you can feel the chemistry already <laughs> i was simply pissed by the time the game kicked off we're really gonna have to cut this <laughs> we're definitely gonna have to cut this but I feel we should get off this subject now, making me annoyed. I bet he's in your fantasy team. There goes our hopes of this being a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want Liverpool to do well. And someone who, you know, obviously hopes that it doesn't go well at United. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lawrence and Ed podcast with me, Ed. We agreed. We agreed on the last podcast that I would do either a hello or a goodbye. So you're going to not do a both. goodbye this week then? Not, not contracted to do both. That was a big old game of chicken there. And you uh, <laughs> you came before I did. How are you, Lawrence? Are you feeling festive? Um, I've got to put the Christmas tree up after this whilst Arsenal play Everton. So one of those things will be exciting. I'm not sure which of the two it will be yet. <laughs> Oh, Everton are dreadful at the moment. And to be fair, so are Arsenal, but, you know. Yeah, they're by they're no means... Ed. They're shit. They are <laughs> absolutely shit. They are shit, but they're, they're, I feel like now is a weird time to be saying that they're shit. They've been shit kind of... The start of the season was when they were at their peak shit. Yeah, but it's easy to say better. they're shit then, wasn't it? It's easy to say they were shit at the start of the season because everybody was saying they're shit. Now they've sort of... They're in one of those periods under a manager who is completely useless, where the team is not quite as shit as it was for just coincidental reasons and an easier fixture list. And that's lulling people into thinking they're making progress when they're not. They're shit. Arteta's shit. They will will return to losing ways whenever the fixture list gets a bit more difficult, as they have done in the last couple of weeks. They've played two football teams and they've lost both games. So they're shit. I'm sorry, but that's just how it is pretty emphatic and correct (laughs) yeah should we start with Liverpool because I feel like United's gonna be quite a long discussion yeah I didn't ask you how you were do you want to go back and do that bit or do you think the listeners won't care feels 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 a bit doesn't feel genuine now (laughs) we've spoken to you before this podcast (laughs) started (laughs) I'm fine thank you um I didn't ask 
I asked you whether <laughs> I should ask. I didn't actually ask. Oh, right. God, just don't know where but I stand. If the, listeners want, if the listeners want to get in touch and ask how Ed is, then I think he'd appreciate that because clearly he's very high maintenance on this subject. How do they get in touch? Um, they'll know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember our email address. Do we still have no, one? No, that's why. Yeah, we do, but I haven't checked it in about months. So okay. I would have to go back and find it, I'm afraid. Is that because we haven't had a single email well let's check shall we uh no no not really no genuine emails why what if, if we had joke emails i don't know let's trash trust the uh the old spam box got some emails from primark bitcoin we got some bitcoin <laughs> in the old bank <laughs> um we'll invest FedEx. our bitcoin FedEx in have been primark. Ch- <laughs> Dr. Tinnitus has been trying to get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> have you, what have you been signing up to with, with this email address? Blood pressure as well. So, and Walmart. I mean, that's not even this country. So, oh God. Yeah. So, well, if you want to get go. in touch um, to hear about Lawrence's blood pressure, then, um, then what is the email address? Uh, ledfootballpod at gmail.com. So please do drop us an email. Ed would very much appreciate the correspondence of this. <laughs> Difficult time. <laughs> yes. Um, Liverpool. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty par for the course, to be honest. I'm, I still am not kind of getting into the title chat at all. I'm perfectly happy with Liverpool just sort of being in and amongst the top teams and no one really talking about them as contenders, although that's changed a little bit because naturally the media have to be so reactive. So Chelsea have lost the game and all of a sudden it's now Liverpool and cities to lose. Um, the Southampton game didn't really have the potential for a banana skin. Southampton are pretty shit. I think I predicted them to go down at the start of the season um, and scoring a goal within two minutes. It, it kind of killed the game off straight away. There weren't really any alarm bells there. The Everton game I was impressed by because that always has the potential for a banana skin with Liverpool. Um, it doesn't really, though, does it? They beat Everton home and away every year. <laughs> well, at Goodison, it's slightly, it's a slightly different fixture. It's more, it's more the fact that they are so. It, it's not even physical. They're, they're just they're out to hurt Liverpool players most of the time. It's particularly at Goodison. I mean, last season, coming away with two pretty horrific injuries. Did did someone get injured in that game? I don't think anybody talks about it, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think it was it was more get through the game without any injuries and just just win it at all costs. And the fact that it was it was pretty emphatic. I thought the Everton goal was a, a bad bit of defending by Joel Matip, as usual, totally out of position and not holding the line. So played everyone on side. And other than that, I thought I thought Henderson played brilliantly. I think he's really stepped up and he's really showing. He's almost like a, and you'll roll your eyes at this because I know how you feel about Henderson. I'm already internally rolling my eyes at this line of line of conversation. <laughs> but he's he's aged like a fine wine, Lawrence. He's oh my got, god, he's got better. <laughs> he's, no, but he has. He's 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 got better every season with age, and you can argue that the bar wasn't particularly high to begin with, and the only way was up. But he's definitely you definitely notice when he's not playing, and I think against Everton he was 
what more could you ask for a midfield player and a captain against your local rivals? I think he would have graced any team with that performance. Um, I didn't see it, but my initial reaction is to assume that this is Tosh. <laughs> well, he scored a goal and completely dominated the game from midfield. He was, you know, I think the the obvious comparison is is Gerard, but he was. They're such different. So, are you comparing players. Henderson to Gerard here? Is that, no. is that where we no, go? No, no. I think I I don't know. I'm saying the opposite. I don't think Henderson gets enough credit because the obvious comparison is Gerard because he's English and he's Liverpool captain. But Gerard and everyone was, else dislikes him. Dislikes who? Henderson. Did everyone else dislike Gerard? Well, I don't think he was that popular with anyone outside of Liverpool because he was never well, like like most other people in that generation. He never really did much for England, particularly when they needed him. Um, no, but I mean, he was pretty popular at United, Chelsea, Real Madrid, and Inter Milan, all of whom tried to sign him several times. No, I'm not saying so, he wasn't a good player, but there wasn't. I don't. I mean, popular as in some players are just popular, aren't they? Not doesn't not, not necessarily always the best. You know, ultimately the best players, but I don't. I feel like Liverpool as a club, just the way they they are, is quite an insular play, sort of us against the world type thing, isn't it? Liverpool, sort of a scouse mentality, and I think that means that generally people outside of Liverpool don't. I know they've got fans outside of Liverpool, but I wouldn't say they're sort of a team that the neutrals feel any great attachment to generally. Yeah, I think historically, I think historically, actually, people were quite anti-Liverpool, particularly the ones of a certain generation who watched them win everything. Yeah, they probably don't yeah. like, you know, don't like that. But I think that's actually changing now. I think, you know, for even if you're the most ardent United or Everton fan who who thoroughly dislikes Liverpool, I still think that as a neutral, they're good value to watch. You know, I think anyone... Anyone who's sat there with a Super Sunday, no one's going to roll their eyes and go, oh, Liverpool are on. They're going oh, no, to... I, don't, I don't mean it like that. There's definitely respect for what Liverpool have done. But I, again, I sort of mean it in a not in terms of success or saying they're rubbish watch in the way that Burnley sort of have that reputation. I just think yeah. that there's not a great... I, I just feel like there's probably <laughs> not that many people who would sort of look at Liverpool as sort of a second team or want to see them do well, that kind of affinity. I feel like most of the people I speak to don't particularly like Liverpool just because it's Liverpool, the, yeah. the place and the people. <laughs> Without <laughs> being too mean, but I feel that's just that sort of, it's almost just, as I said, that sort of insular, us against the world type vibe that Liverpool, not not just the football, just sort of Liverpool as a Almost, Do you uh, not think that's changed slightly with obviously Klopp being a very popular manager, Salah no, being I think... one of the best players in the world? You know, there, there is that. Do you not think there's more of a global appeal now towards Liverpool? There might be more of a global appeal. I don't. I don't know how people sort of outside of England view Liverpool as a place. It might be like a lot of football teams where they don't. People globally don't even really look past the football team and have any sort of idea of the culture of a place or the people, the locals. Um, so I don't know. I think Klopp definitely is popular, objectively looking at it. I, I like Klopp. I think he's a proper football person. He's quite entertaining. Um, obviously, wish he wasn't at Liverpool, but I like Klopp. But I know lots of people who like Klopp but still don't particularly like Liverpool because I think, by all properly big football clubs, Liverpool are bigger than individual people that 
work for them. So they're, you know, Klopp is a part of that, but he's not like at City, you almost feel Guardiola is sort of Man City in this era. There's not sort of people who like Guardiola will like City because there's nothing about City as a club beyond Guardiola, whereas for Liverpool, Klopp is just a a small part in that, or, you know, a part, a small part in the whole hundred and whatever many years Liverpool have been going. I feel like there's more to it than just liking one or two individuals. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I've never, I don't really know where that sort of resentment or ill feeling towards Liverpool, either as a, well, I'm just going to stick with, I'm, I'm going to stick with football team. Um, you know, I'm not, not from the area, so I can't really comment on it. But in terms of the, the ill will towards the football team, I'm not really sure where that comes from. And I don't really care. And I guess you're right in that sense, is that there is very much, or if you're with us, you're with us. And, you know, it doesn't, no one else really matters. Um, you know, we'll leave, we'll leave the talking about other clubs to, to other clubs. It's very much about Liverpool. And I think that's what drew me to them in the first place as a five-year-old when I decided that I was going to support Liverpool. Um, among other reasons as well but it was there, there was definitely I'm sure you know I'm sure you probably felt this as well there was an affinity of towards a club that I felt was offering me something that no other club could and I guess that's kind of what you're saying in the sense that it is very much oh well we don't need to worry about other clubs whereas every other club every other football match I'd been to even if their rival wasn't playing against them they'd be singing about their rivals or they'd be slagging them off or that whereas that doesn't really happen at Liverpool um so I've I, you know obviously I'm biased I, I don't really see where the ill will comes from I think in terms of what Liverpool have done as a football club and for English football far supersedes any behavior of fans or whatever the reasons are from other clubs I don't really get it and especially but it's not even from, Especially, sorry, I'll just just finish this point. But especially when it comes from supporters of clubs that are either nowhere near Liverpool in geographical terms, but also nowhere near Liverpool in terms of success as well. I don't really understand how you can really comment on it. I understand coming from a Manchester United fan, the reasons of not liking Liverpool, both as a place and as, as a football team. There's always been that rivalry there. I understand that. And from Everton as well, having to live in the same city as this team that's so successful and you've kind of, the, the only times you've ever got close, it's always been taken away from you somehow. Uh, you've never been able to build on that. So I understand that. But, you know, Chelsea fans hating Liverpool. OK, we knocked you out of the European Cup a few times. But I, I genuinely do think it comes from jealousy and it comes from a, a, a place of, well, we, we wish we were that much of a football institution, but we're just not. And I think the only other clubs that really come close to that in, in, in England are United. And if we're talking domestically, probably Arsenal. But other than that, there's, they're, they're really no one compares. So they can sit there and they can say, oh, you know, Liverpool aren't likeable or we're not a second team. But, you know, Leeds was everyone's second team last year. And Leeds have got the most horrible fans in the whole league, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really get it. But there you go, you you hooked me in with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Uh, I think it wasn't intended as sort of a ill will or resentment. I think it's just a, a lack of. And as you say, you don't really care. It's very difficult, I think, for people who are not Liverpool fans to feel much affection for Liverpool because it's sort of, and this is just generally speaking to me, and I might be completely wrong. This is just from 
my own experiences of the world and having talked to people, not specifically, but again, just generally. It's sort of like that with any place that's sort of got a really strong identity. You sort of think of people that bang on about being from Yorkshire or Cornwall. For outsiders, it's just a bit like, yeah, whatever. Like, there's no... Yeah. It doesn't really foster any sort of affection towards it. And I think Liverpool is that because they are obviously very proud of being scouts and and that sort of that sort of vibe that you get through the football club that it's very much sort of an us thing and that as you said we don't really care what anyone else thinks i think it's just sort of going back to the original point i just don't think that really anybody that's not drawn in immediately is sort of just a bit like there's not really any general affection in the same way that you know i like quite like villa and nottingham forest for their history and there's not really anything about those clubs that then puts me off. So I quite like to see them doing well. I feel like with Liverpool, and maybe it's the same with United, and there's certainly an element of success in that that makes people want to see you lose as well. Um, but I just, yeah, I just feel there's not really many people that probably have that feeling towards Liverpool. But I can't even remember how we got onto this. Now I think about it, I th- I thought that there was perhaps a shift with with someone like Klopp at the club and th- and there being this this really likable bloke in charge that no one really has a bad word to say about. They play fantastic football. They're obviously getting quite a lot of success as well, playing fantastic football. They've got some really good young English players coming through that people like. They've got Salah, who's like you know an unbelievable footballer at the moment. They've got Allison, who again seems like a really nice bloke. Van Dyke, who everyone thinks is really cool. Like you know, there's there, there's they've got very popular players. They play good football. They've got a really popular manager. So I just assumed, having as I said, this is the first time I've thought about it, that people would kind of see that and go, oh well, it's nice to see them do well, rather than a soulless, you know, Abu Dhabi FC. That you know, surely you'd rather see a football team who. Don't spend I just don't think huge money. They have popular players. They play good football, win the league, rather than someone who's just gonna. I think mo- the way most people like consume football, I don't think those off-field issues particularly. But they don't bother most people. Or Man City wouldn't continue to operate in the way it's operated if people really cared on mass. So I sort of think the more you know, probably just because they ignore that, there's not really anything offensive about Man City because they don't really have any identity anymore as a football club if you see what I mean sort of yeah, but, hard to but, dislike because they're just a bit non-existent really no I get that but but identity as a football club rather than a football team is an off-field yeah. consideration yeah, but, but, so... yeah but City don't really have any do they? Not anymore they used to sort of have a plucky sort of underdog sort of a bit of a comedic sort of vibe yeah but they've lost that no i get that And they don't really nothing's replaced it has it it's not there isn't really any history to speak of there's no and obviously if they were brilliant for the next 50 years then they would that would naturally develop with it but yeah i don't know i just I, i would find it very difficult for someone to convince me that that it's not just a soulless football club but for the casual fan that's sort of that's almost just like a vacuum so there's nothing really to dislike about them particularly no i get what you're saying but in terms of the casual fan not really taking into consideration anything off the field 
surely then it speaks for itself. You know, I know it's subjective, but Liverpool play far more interesting football than Leeds play far more interesting football than, than Man City do. So I can't quite, I, I, I don't really understand. Yeah, but that's, I feel that's when the, yeah, but that's where that, I think, feel like the general thing then comes in about Liverpool sort of as a, quite a, an in, not, I don't want to say insular because that makes it sound like it's an insult. But you yeah. know what I mean by like, when I say insular, very yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of place with it. That's feel when the more general, somebody might say, yeah, well, I don't really like Scousers or whatever. That sort of general thing then I think feeds into that. Whereas with, <laughs> I just feel with Man City, there's just nothing. Yeah. There's just nothing there. So it's very hard for someone to particularly dislike them unless it's on the grounds of the fact that they're cheating murderers. Yeah, which you'd think would be at the forefront of you would, most, you would think most so. media, but but there we go. We'll uh, we'll continue to bring it up until the <laughs> until the main newspapers do. So. Until until one of us is murdered in suspicious <laughs> circumstances. In terms of the Wolves game, the last one that had the potential. Well, it didn't have the potential to be. It was a very frustrating watch the whole time. It was, it was one of those games where you just felt like we're never going to score, especially when Jota went round the keeper and then managed to find Connor Cody on the line. And you just think, well, it's never going to happen. Mane missed a few chances. Robertson was getting into really good positions, but instead of just pulling the trigger, would cross it and then there'd be no one in there. And you just think, for fuck's sake. Um, Wolves, they were time-wasting from about the 50th minute. And I'm sorry, but... You're when you're in the same league as someone, that is just embarrassing. I can understand a League Two team doing that in the FA Cup and they want to get a replay back at their own ground, you know, all that sort of stuff. You're in the same league. And I'm not saying you have to throw everyone forward and you know, to you can play defensive, but time wasting and just play it's so it I just want to root it out completely in this country because it's so frustrating to watch and it's not a good look at all for the Premier League. Um, and Wolves, quite frankly, you know, they, they, if they want to attract more fans in, which every club does, that's really not the way to do it. It's that as soon as you come up, because let's face it, the, the most people are going to watch Wolves when they're playing a big team, when, you know, because it's broadcast all around the world. And if that's how they're going to behave on a football pitch when they come up against a proper football team, then they're just going to get a reputation for being a Burnley. Um, but then, you know, in the 95th minute, once again, uh, the idiom that uh, football without Origi is nothing was proven right once again. <laughs> um, He's he a is, very strange player, isn't he? Like, he is just... I've said this to you. He must be... I know Liverpool have got a good player. Well, they got Jota. It's not like there's... It would have been that difficult to dislodge Firmino at any stage in the last five years. He, I said to you, he must be awful in training because he never gets a game and then Klopp throws him on at random times and he pops up with a goal. It's sort of, yeah. it's it's just so weird. He's our Solskjaer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, <laughs> He'll in, be Liverpool in, interim yeah, manager in 15, 15 years. years. He'll, be, <laughs> he'll be King Divock at the wheel. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's scored some hugely important goals. I mean, he scored in the Champions League final. He scored two in the semi-final against Barcelona. He is he has got some his highlight reel would look incredible. And I was I was chatting to my brother about this after the game. I don't understand. He was up for sale in the summer. 
And I don't really get why we'd sell him because he cost us nothing. And he's, you know, he always comes up with an important goal. He doesn't seem to have many demands in terms of playing time. So he's the sort of player you just keep well, you say around. many. He doesn't seem to have any demands in terms no, of no. time. But, and, and he's really popular in the squad as well. Like he seems to just be one of those players that is good to have around and is useful. So he was up for sale. And why, you know, why, why weren't like a Palace looking at him or like a Southampton or he's more than good enough to get Tottenham. into those teams. Yeah, Tottenham. And I think Klopp made a good point that just because you're not playing every week for Liverpool, who are arguably one of the best teams in Europe at the moment, doesn't mean you're not a good player. You can still, you know, it's the arrogance of some of these smaller clubs. That, well, oh, well, he doesn't play for Liverpool, so he can't get in our team. Sorry. Well, you think Dominic Solanke, was it, went to Bournemouth for what, 20, 30 million? Yeah. Having done nothing? Yeah. But he's sort of, I suppose he won the under-something World Cup with England, I think. Yeah. I think he did yeah, that. He did. And, and had he yeah. been... Had he always been at Liverpool or had he, no, he Liverpool in... nabbed him from Chelsea? Yeah, or... that's right. He was at yeah. Chelsea and then, then... And he seems to have got a big move on the back of that, having done nothing on the pitch at any point. Whereas Origi has shown that he can score goals. This sort of thing is almost like a... Almost like Ian Acho, but having scored more yeah. iconic goals. And he was sort of at a big club, has done okay when he's come on. And Ian Acho got a move to Leicester off the back of it. Whereas Origi, yeah, as you say, just sort of seemingly been ignored by plenty of teams that could use a goal. Spurs are looking for a backup striker to Kane. Well, I don't think, you know, I know they have a lot more expertise and people looking at beyond the sort of headlines in terms of players who they want to sign. But at face value, you think a team like Spurs or Arsenal wouldn't be bad as a, a squad player at all, but no interest from anyone. No. But he's one of those, you know, even because he's played in the Champions League a fair bit and he plays in the Carabao Cup and, you know, whatever. He'd never, I've never seen him put in a below seven out of 10 performance. He seems, he's, he's, a, he's a model professional in the sense that whenever he plays, he gives it his all. He runs around a lot. He scores goals. He puts in tackles. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. But, you know, I'm happy for him to, him to hang around. Like, he, I wouldn't want him as the, the sole and only striker because I think if you put him in a game, you know, put him in 38 games a season, I think he would get his limitations would get found out. But he's, you know, what a weapon to have off the bench. You know, it's, it's, yeah, no, I, and there was a, a big sort of outpouring of frustration, I think, at the end of the game. I think the, that goal going in, it was just one of those like fuck off, yes moments because. You know, and then all of a sudden Wolves want to play, you know, and, and kick off really quickly. It's like, well, it's not our fault that it's the 95th minute. We should have been 3-0 up by now. You know, it's they're saying it's hard on Wolves, but I don't think it was. I think a, a draw would have been hard on Liverpool. So no sympathy for Wolves whatsoever. Um, and then, yeah, it's uh, we've got Milan in the Champions League tomorrow night at the time of recording. Um, and then... A reunion with Steven Gerrard on Saturday. That'll be an absolutely sickly love fest, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, is that on TV? Obviously, it's been spared that. No, you've been spared that. I think that's good. Otherwise, there'd be like a three-minute Sky montage or something of sickly <laughs> proportions. I think he'll get around. He'll get a good ovation from the fans. Obviously, oh, no, I, I, yeah, I don't have any problem with like the fans. It'll sort of be the hype machine. 
which I just dislike generally around that will be yeah awful. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's Gerard's obviously hugely competitive as a person. I think he will desperately want to win, and I think I could see it being quite. A, like I could see a few red cards in that yeah. game, um, probably from Villa. I think he he will whip the players up into a frenzy, and I think <laughs> as long as they don't break Salah, then <laughs> I don't know. I just that's fine. I feel any motivation that came from Gerard is sort of leading by example. He doesn't strike me as someone who's eloquent enough or he just doesn't strike me as the sort of person that's going to be able to whip anyone into a frenzy with his speech. Sort oh, of maybe if he went out there on the pitch and, and tried, he might be able to, but I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that. Obviously I haven't been in a dressing room with him he's been given a team talk <laughs> without saying but, no but just that just how you see how his Rangers teams played and how Villa have played in the first few few games like he he definitely laid into them at half time against Leicester there is no shadow of a doubt that he that the players completely it was a different team and yeah but they were quite him, tied up by the bullshit refereeing that went on in that game I feel because there was a whole the crowd were absolutely on the referee yeah yeah i feel it was the crowd generated that sense of injustice i feel that's quite a strong motivator for football teams it takes a manager to then channel that frustration into something positive because that villainy how many times we've seen it in the league where the crowd whip up into a frenzy and all of a sudden tackles are flying in and it's just chaos like it needs a steady head but surely that would be calming down rather than whipping up into a a frenzy from Gerard. Yeah, maybe. And if anything, I, mean, I... I feel he would quite be be quite good at taking away people's passion and enjoyment. <laughs> 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 Neither of us predicted Ralph Rangnick. Are you? Uh, were you one of those people who? pretended to be an expert on him once he was appointed <laughs> because I'm going to be honest I've never fucking heard of him <laughs> I had only heard of him in the context of people saying in the past that they thought he would be a good appointment as sort of a, a director of football type person I hadn't really appreciated the fact that he'd done any coaching or was familiar at all with his um, coaching record and then it obviously came out of lots of links about this person who'd learned under him, that person had learned under him. And that's fine. I think there is some um it is fair enough to to highlight that, but I don't like the way people almost attribute other people's success to the to a mentor or something. Because yeah. you know, particularly with Thomas Tuchel, he's his own manager. He's gone out and had his own success. Everybody is influenced by people that have come before them. Um, it doesn't make their achievements other people's achievements if you see what I mean so I was a little bit wary of that um but generally I'm not too unhappy with the appointment and for what I have seen him in both way talks about football and the performance on Saturday was quite pleased with it or Sunday when did we play Sunday what was the most pleasing aspect of the performance um I mean it sounds basic but and this is sort of from the last few weeks, they've looked like a team with a clear idea of what they actually want to do, which is a nice 
Yeah. Um, it was all honestly, there was just, a, and this might be, you know, looking for things that weren't there, but there was just a sense on Sunday, particularly almost like a comforting effect of knowing that you had a manager who knew what they were doing and was qualified for the job. It yeah. was quite a comforting sensation, particularly it's been the other way around a lot in the last, obviously in the last three years of Solskjaer, even in his good moments, coming up against people who are much more experienced than him. It was nice on Sunday to know that Patrick Vieira has done a good job for Palace, but there was sort of a feeling of, well, we've got a manager who's better than Vieira, yeah. much more experienced than Vieira. So if the game doesn't go exactly how you want it, you have more faith that it'll be fine. So that was quite nice. But in terms of the less general point, I suppose the just the intensity, and I don't just mean that in terms of pressing because everybody's banged on about pressing in the <laughs> last two weeks. And it just, it's one of those things that, yes, you want your team to do it well, but it's not. Nobody watches football just to watch pressing. Like it's an aspect of the game, but it's not it's just been overanalyzed. And I mean the intensity in terms of obviously the pressing, but more just the, when we got the ball, there was a real intensity to pass it forwards and attack with it quickly. And I feel like particularly as the team's got low on confidence, there's been a lot of players and McTominay has been one who, even when we win the ball back, will play one or two nice passes on instinct to beat the press. And then there'll be that moment where, there's a forward pass on, but there's just enough time that the player has to make that decision to do it. And in the last, as the confidence has dropped, players have been playing backwards and sideways passes instead of taking the, an easy forward ball on. And I just felt on Sunday there was an, a real intensity to win the ball back quickly. And when we had the ball, look forward. Not long, not like, you know, Burnley-style direct football, but good forward passes at speed with some width as well. That was pleasing. Whilst the formation was quite narrow, the fullbacks gave us a lot of width and played quite high up, which gave us the appearance of a team that played with width. And I feel like too many teams, when they're struggling going forward or they struggle to pass the ball forward quickly, um, don't appreciate that if you play with a lot of width, that immediately gives you a, a ball to play to keep the ball moving quickly. I think that's one of the things that City in the past five years under Guardiola have actually done really well is they've always made the pitch as big as possible. Even if the wingers run from out to in, they start quite wide. And that means yeah. that when they play the ball, they've got a forward pass on the midfielders straight away, can hit the winger on the touchline or the fullback. And I think that's quite underrated amongst teams that struggle to sort of play decent football at times. He's definitely going for pace in the channels alongside Ronaldo, isn't he? I think there's. I think that was quite evident on uh, on Sunday, and I also liked that. I don't think Sancho was particularly bad, but I also liked that he made the decision reasonably early to bring him off and to bring on Greenwood. Um, I thought that that was under under Ollie. I just kind of the game would have probably drifted a bit more, and he made the change when United were very much on top, and it proved to. You know, it, it it took a bit more, bit longer before the goal came, but it 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 proved to be the right decision and and to exploit Palace kind of when they were looking a bit leggy, rather than letting them off the hook a bit and then throwing everyone on at the last minute and bit and it being a bit chaotic. It was quite methodical, I thought. Yeah, and as I've said to you 
what feels like plenty of times this season, but I've definitely made the point that that was one of the biggest criticisms of Ollie is that for a player who had such a reputation of coming on and changing the game from the bench, he didn't seem to have that intrinsic sense of when to make a change. He'd be quite cautious from the bench and you'd almost see him react to situations rather than sense the moment to make a change. I said that um, about the Villarreal game, even when Carrick was in charge, that he made proactive changes. And I think with yeah. a manager, that's one of the things you look for is that understanding of, okay, it's not terrible, but this is the moment to make a change. And, and I didn't think, I thought Rashford was pretty poor and I would have taken him off. But Sancho has been in good form and I probably would have kept him on. But at least he made, you know, at yeah. least he made a change sort of mm. thing. So even if it doesn't come off, if you feel like the manager is trying to impact the game, then I think you've got more, oh, I certainly am more forgiving if they bring someone on and it doesn't work than if they just leave it and then throw everyone on with five minutes to go sort of thing. Yeah, I think this manager as well, it certainly uh, suits Dallow and Tellez more than uh, Wan-Bissaka and Sh- I know Shaw's injured, but they're probably the first choice. Well, they're definitely the first choice when, ev- when everyone's fit. I think Wan-Bissaka, it's, it's weird because I remember, I remember watching one of his first ever games when he was at Palace and he did used to bomb forward quite a lot. And that was it. But he's become a bit more small C conservative in his um, in in his in his later later on in his career. I'm not really sure what what's caused that. Maybe it's the pressure of playing for a bigger club. He feels like he's a bit more restrained, or I don't know. But he used to be a real like attacking fullback, and now he seems to be just a bit too defensive. Whereas Dallow doesn't seem to give a shit. <laughs> he's, he runs all over the place. Yeah, it's um, and again, it goes. I know when a new manager comes in, everything is sort of rosy and just look at the positives and you haven't had a chance to sort of suss out the negatives. But again, that was something that a lot of United fans were frustrated about is that Oli never used the squad. He sort of, or he didn't sign Dallow, but he signed Tellez. And Luke Shaw hasn't played well this season, but Tellez didn't get a look in. He would Mm. never pick Tellez for, you know, to rotate Luke Shaw, even though Luke Shaw had a good season last season. Tellez hardly ever played unless it was a dead rubber. We played away at Chelsea the other week, did just fine. So he can do it. There's not yeah. too many more tough games in the league than going, you know, playing away at Chelsea, and he was fine. Dallow is a bit of an odd one because he has played and at times he's looked poor. He's been really good the last couple of games. And he's definitely an alternative to Wambasaka in terms of in games where you can have a bit more of a naturally gifted fullback because Wan-Bissaka is very good one-on-one defensively I don't feel his positional sense is that great um, particularly and he has moments where he does decent things going football but that's for someone that sort of was in the Palace Academy as a winger that doesn't seem what he's naturally good at is not being on the ball and playing quickly and he hasn't just he just hasn't quite kicked on I think he's been solid for United but you're now at his age and experience you're looking for him to really kick on as a player and perhaps it's just been that he's got into his comfort zone he's played almost every single game for United for two years without any real competition so perhaps he does just need to kick up the backside to sort of jumpstart his development again I think in terms of the first choice fullbacks I think be interesting to see going forward who is the first choice 
who he prefers on that right-hand side, and he did only have sort of one half-an-hour training session with the players. So I think it's difficult to read too much into that. I think on the left-hand side, I think Shaw probably will still be first pick um, when he gets back fit. But certainly there are games, again, where Tellez would provide a better a better option, and it would be nice to see him get more of a go. For the sake of balance, though, you know, it's all very it's all very well saying that it'd be interesting to see what the manager thinks and what his first choice team is. Does it matter? Because he's not going to be the manager in six months, five, six months' time. So I know that the, the manager coming in can glean a little bit of information from what worked under the previous manager and what didn't. But ultimately, they're going to have their own views of how to play anyway. So does it matter what Ranić discovers in the next five months? Not if he doesn't stay on, but I think, and this is where I'm not sure where it's going to work. I don't know what, if, if it's weird to say if everything goes to plan and he isn't the manager next year, because yeah. that seems a bit of a, it doesn't, it seems a bit contradictory to be thinking yeah. that way. Um, I don't know what his role is going to be. I don't know how much influence he's going to have, whether he's going to act as a director of football or if he's going to be less directly involved and more of a sort of consultant guiding in the background, giving advice, or if he's going to have the power to make decisions. I really don't know, and I don't know if that's been decided on. What I would say, and this is where it gets a bit messy, is that he is the manager now. He is almost the man in possession. If he does a good job, then with his reputation, I don't know whether that almost then, he almost hires himself in yeah. the next six months because he has got a good reputation. I don't know a lot about him, but if United play well, you know, look good, like look like they're a well-managed team, are they really going to say, all right, off you go, we're going to now give it to someone else? It's a decision that's going to be really difficult for them to make. I don't know who makes that decision either it's uh i really don't know where this one's going to go because as i said if things go to plan he'll win lots he'll win lots of games and do a really good job in which case you think well he is the manager so yeah he's got enough of a a cv to back that up to say well he should just have the job it wouldn't be like when solskjaer came in did really well but didn't have the cv to back it up you then sort of think well and does he, does not... he have the CV though? Well, I think he's, he's, he's won a German Cup, and that's it. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe he hasn't. Yeah, perhaps that's a little bit of an, an um, what's the word? Exaggeration. Yeah, exaggeration, perhaps. Um, but he's certainly got the reputation, I think, within the game. Yeah. Um, to suggest that he is capable of operating at the top end of football um and i think he's probably got enough of a reputation and past experience that if he does really well in the next six months there'll be it will be very hard for them not to hire him and he said himself when they asked him that from his point of view he's done this before and ended up as permanent manager um i yeah. think at um leipzig i think perhaps um so he's certainly thinking it's a possibility Oh, absolutely. Just, you have it's, to it's a, it's a, him. Yeah, but that's what I mean. And that's why I think one of the reasons Pochettino was really keen to get in now because he's missed out once before on the job 
because of an interim manager. Ranić is the man who's doing it. So he almost has the possession to, if you do a good job, it's your job going forward. Yeah. Um, and it seems strange that you're then in a situation where you're almost saying, if he's successful, that's not the plan because the plan is for him not to be manager next season. Whereas if he does a crap job, will then it go, then the plan will keep, we'll keep going with the plan where he'll go on and take a different position and we'll get a manager. It's sort of a very counterintuitive situation where the plan is more suited to a scenario where he's rubbish than if he comes in and does a really good job. Yeah, but so, I mean, even even if even if the plan goes to plan and he you know he isn't the manager but if that's because he has been rubbish that's not ideal either because no i know that no that's how, what how I mean. can how can he then turn around and say oh this is who the manager should be it's like oh hang on you you've just done the job for six months and you were shit at it so how the fuck no. do you know what what the club no, but that's needs? exactly what i mean no yeah. that's exactly what i mean so if he's rubbish then he's almost he should just leave altogether yes yeah, the plan yeah. just doesn't and obviously yeah. there are degrees of it's not so black and white, is it? It's not allowed to be brilliant or crap. There are, you know, there's a situation where he finishes fourth and doesn't win anything else, in which case you'd say he's done a decent job. You know, the best case scenario is is, you know, wins every single game till the end of the season and they win lots of things, but that's not realistic either. So it's just a it's just a very strange situation. I think they've actually done the right thing, having hired an interim to delay that until the summer, as I said to you before. It didn't make any sense for me to sort of get an interim now and then hire a manager for the summer now because that's yeah. just you're leaving yourselves with six months of anything can happen. Um, yeah. All I would say is that I think the positive, whether Ranjit moves sort of up in the club when he finishes or remains manager, the decisions are these decisions are at least now being taken by people who are football people and have reached that position through their achievements in football rather than a bunch of investment bankers, whilst Edward Wood and co sign off these decisions and retain ultimate power to say yes or no. This wasn't Edward Wood's appointment as the other managers have been. This was led by um, a couple of other people off the pitch who are football people. Yeah, Darren Fletcher and John, John Murta, who is, sort of a director of football but not um yeah and whether whether those people are good enough i don't know fletcher is certainly seems well regarded but is young and inexperienced but they are at least people making decisions for football reasons who have football background and understanding of football because they like it rather than because they want to make money out of it which is a positive change at least wouldn't it be nice to go back to a, a time as a United fan where the football kind of just does the talking, you know, because I remember <laughs> growing up watching, watching some of United and Ferguson being in charge. And it was almost as though, you know, I think it was fair to say that United were quite insular then in the sense that they did things their way and we'll let everyone else, you know, we'll let the noisy neighbours come along, but they're still not going to win the league and we'll just do the football. You know, and with transfers as well, it was you, the, almost the first time you heard about the transfers when it was already done. You know, it was very behind closed doors. It was very private. Do you not think that this is, I mean, it's been several years now of United being a bit of a circus. 
Yeah, but that is a legacy of, again, it's a legacy of having people running a football club that aren't experts in anything to do with football. So what you're saying about Fergie is absolutely correct, but he almost took on all of these modern roles that you have, sort of sporting director, technical director, director of football, all these different roles. That was sort of the manager when clubs were smaller. And because Fergie was there for such a long period where so much changed, he almost accumulated all of those roles naturally. Um, So he did all those things and did them brilliantly. So you almost had that effect of a well-run club because the man in charge was brilliant at all of those things and he was well-supported by others, of course. Um, Whereas when he left, all of those jobs got delegated to other people and some of those important jobs were being done by Ed Woodward, who's not... He is a banker. He's got no football achievements at all and he's obviously not capable of doing it. And I think whilst he has improved and has learned obviously the need to delegate things it's taken seven eight years for the realization to come to the owners that they will have to let have to hire some football people in positions and delegate some things to them otherwise they won't keep making as much money as they have been because that is the bottom line it's they're not doing this because oh, well, we're not winning anything. We really want to win. They're thinking, oh, well, if we're not making the Champions League every year, if we're not winning things from a commercial perspective, then the revenues will drop. So how do we protect that? And at the moment, their interests are sort of aligned with the fans who want to see, you know, more footballing expertise and a bit more organisation at the club, a bit of a modernisation of sort of how things are run. That aligns with them at the moment because they want to protect how much money they can make from United, but it is at least as the interests are aligned, it is a small positive change, I think. All right, well, should we go on to the predictions from last week? I think in future, we were, we were discussing that we are going to, rather than talk through our predictions every week, we're going to post them on our social media, which what's our Twitter handle? Yeah, so our Twitter handle is at LED underscore football. Cool. So our predictions will be on there in future. But for now, enjoy a vintage chat of our speed run of our predictions from last week. How there did... were a lot of games, weren't there? So Did, did we do well? No, no. Oh, we did we not? Oh, I think you did okay. I think, I think you got two correct scores and I got one. But I am very pleased with the one I got, which we'll get to. So, um, all right, go on then. Go through, go through the, go through the. Have you got them in front of you? I've got the scores. I don't have the predictions. Okay, I've. I think I've got the predictions here. So let's start with. So Arsenal Newcastle. You went three one. I went two nil. Yeah, I'm trying to. This was so long ago. I'm actually trying to find the. The fixture. The result. <laughs> When was this game played? Right, okay. Yeah, so this was a couple of weeks ago because we did a bumper podcast having not done one for <laughs> a while. So the score of that one was actually 2-0. To Arsenal? Yeah. Oh, nice. Got that right. So that's so. what are we on now in the score? I think that's 3-2 to me, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, let's say 3-2. I have no idea, but let's say that. Okay. Palace Villa, we both went one all. We were close. It was 2-1 to Villa. 
Liverpool, Southampton, you went 5-0, I went 4-1. We were both one goal out, it was 4-0. Norwich, Wolves, you went 3-1 Wolves, I went 2-0 Wolves. Yeah, it was just 0-0, so excitement all round. We should have known. (laughs) Brighton, Leeds, you went 2-all, I went 2-1 to Brighton. No such luck, that was also 0-0. See, that, uh, that's surprising because they're two teams that score a lot of goals. So you'd have thought, but well, there we go. Uh, Brentford-Everton. You went 2-1 to Everton. I went one all. It was 1-0 to Brentford. Oh, we really didn't do very well. This is why we don't predict in... They'll look better written down. <laughs> uh, Burnley-Spurs. You went 2-0 to Spurs. I went 1-0 to Spurs. Yeah, that game was postponed due to snow. <laughs> Who predicted that? <laughs> <laughs> it was, of course, probably most famously remembered for Sean Dice just standing in the snowstorm in just his suit, trousers, and shirt, being like, "Yeah, not even cold, is it?" Yeah, having swallowed his uh, daily quota of razor blades that morning for, <laughs> for his voice. Uh, Lester Watford, that was. Uh, you predicted one all. I predicted three two. That's close. It was four two to Leicester. City West Ham. You went two nil City. I went three nil City. It was two one to City. And Chelsea United. Uh, you went two nil Chelsea. I went one nil United. You were nearly right, but for a bullshit penalty, it was one one. Of course. Newcastle Norwich. You went two one. I went one all. It was one all. Oh, was it? Oh, Sadly, nice. yep. Uh, Leeds... I don't know what's happened to Norwich. Sorry, just we go. They seem to have just become masters at accumulating points all of a sudden. Dean Smith. Although he did get battered yesterday. So the Dean Smith effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leeds against Palace. Uh, you went 3 1. I went, you went 3 1 to Leeds. I went 2 0 to Palace. It was 1-0 to Leeds, so I claim the moral victory on that one. Southampton-Leicester. You went 9-0 <laughs> to Southampton. I went 9-0 to Leicester. Yeah, that was only 2-2. I was very disappointed in that. Uh, Watford-Chelsea. Uh, you went 2-0 to Chelsea. I went 3-0 to Chelsea. Yeah, that was 2-1 to Chelsea. West Ham, Brighton. You went 1-0 to Brighton. I went 2-1 to West Ham. It was 1-1. Okay, Wolves, Burnley. You went 0-0. And I went 2-0 to Wolves. It was 0-0, wasn't it? It was 0-0. And I'm particularly proud of getting this right because having listened to the previous episode, I was absolutely adamant that it would be nil-nil and that everything about <laughs> the game suggested it would be nil-nil and then it was nil-nil. So very, very pleased at that one. <laughs> very gleeful. <laughs> Villa City. You went 3-1 Villa. I went 4-0 City. I think we were both miles off, weren't we? Yeah, but at least you got the right result. I, I went to, it was 2-1 to Man City. I don't know why I thought Villa would win that game. It seems a very poor choice in hindsight. So it was 2-1 to City? Yeah. Uh, Everton-Liverpool, you went 2-0 Liverpool. I went 3-1 Liverpool, and it was obviously 4-1. Uh, 
It was. Spurs, Brentford, you went 4-1 to Spurs. I went 1-0. 2 nil to Spurs. Conte masterclass. And United, Arsenal, you went 3-1. I went 2-0, both to United. Yeah, it was 3-2, although I feel like that it should have been 3-1. Not because Arsenal's first goal should have been disallowed on any technical grounds, but it should almost certainly have been disallowed from the fact that the Arsenal players celebrated it as if Smith Rowe had just banged one in from 50 yards in the last minute of the World Cup final, <laughs> rather than scuffing a left foot volley into the goal that was so shit had the goalkeeper been anything other than lying on the floor with his back to play would almost certainly have been saved. It reminded me of that time Henderson celebrated like an absolute twat when the goalkeeper kicked it at him and it bounced in the goal. I think it was against Swansea. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it was. It just, so I just, I was pretty annoyed that that goal went in because the referee saw the keeper on the floor. He definitely saw it on account that he nearly put his whistle to his lips and then just decided not to. Any other, any other game, when the goalkeeper's on the floor, the referee just stops the game. He decided not to. So I was pretty pissed off. But once it went in, it was like, well, it's definitely going to count. So I wasn't surprised. But then it really did piss me off when Arsenal celebrated it like it was some amazing goal, like rather than sheepishly accepting that they had a lot of good fortune and sort of just... But it's just Arsenal all over. They couldn't contain themselves having actually scored a goal. So. Well, I was, I was going to say that is just classic Arsenal, and I don't know how you expected anything else, to be honest. No, but it did. It was in hindsight, it was quite nice because it really did reawaken some long dormant hatred of Arsenal. Like <laughs> I was really pleased when we beat them. I think there was a bit in the first half when Scott McTominay absolutely flattened Smith Rowe, fairly yeah. got the ball, and I was just like, "Yeah, have that, you fat wanker. Like, you deserve <laughs> that." <laughs> All right, well, I think we'll leave it there then for this week. Our predictions will be up on our social media shortly. And well, we have to make them first. So. <laughs> That's true. I'll text you mine. Thanks. Yeah, so you've, uh, you didn't say hello. So I will, the floor is yours now to close out the podcast. All right, bye. <laughs>